This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today's episode is a little bit different. I decided to hit the pause button on my Friday fun episodes because there's something more important that we need to be talking about. This is episode 248, and it's dedicated to Ahmad Arbery. Ahmad was a black man who was out for a run and was shot down and killed by two white men. This happened on February 23rd in Georgia, and up until today, this evening in fact, the two men who shot Ahmad had not been arrested. So when I recorded this conversation earlier today, the arrest had not been made yet, or at least it was not made public yet. So my friend Chris Turner, who you get to know in this episode, and I talk as if the arrests had not been made yet because we recorded it before that happened. This episode is in honor of Ahmad, but it's also a space where we can talk about the greater issue of racial injustice in this country. How this conversation came about, I posted on social media about Ahmad earlier this morning, and Chris responded to my message. And then we got to talking through a direct message on my Facebook page, and I thought, you know what? People need to hear from Chris. You don't need to hear from me. This isn't about me. Chris, though, he is a black man who also happens to be a runner. And I just wanted his voice on this podcast this week. And a little bit more about Chris. He's an amazing person. He is a longtime fundraiser for the Donna Foundation, a foundation that I care deeply about. And that's actually how we met down at the Donna Marathon weekend. And he's a proud father and husband, and he has important things to say today. So I hope we can all walk away feeling like we learned something and feeling like we, our voices matter. And that we can be a part of moving this conversation forward. This is about Chris. And this is about Ahmad. Enjoy my conversation with Chris Turner. Okay. Today on the podcast, I am excited to talk with my friend Chris Turner. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Um... I'm, I guess the topic is not, it's a heavy topic we're going to discuss right. today. Um, but before we do that, I would just love to introduce you to my listeners. So Chris and I met through the Donna Foundation. I go down to the Donna Marathon every year, and Chris is a huge fundraiser and supporter for the Donna Foundation. So that's kind of how we got connected, I guess, what, two and a half years ago now? Yeah, about that time, yeah. So can you just share, everybody, a little bit about your life, um, and then we'll kind of get into the topic we're going to discuss today. We wanted to talk about Ahmad Arbery in this episode. So, 
Chris, let's get your story a little bit first, though. Well, yeah, again, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, we met at the Donna Foundation um, during the 26.2 marathon and um, great team and great people down there. Um, so I am, I'll start from the top and go backwards. Um, married, father to, uh, with my little daughter, Roxy, and my son, Dylan, uh, lives up in Pennsylvania. Uh, my wife, Chanel, um, graduates of the Florida State University, go Knowles. Uh, grew up in Central Florida, um, the Winter Springs area, uh, right north of Orlando, um, a suburban area, predominantly white community, predominantly white schools. I grew up in good neighborhoods, so um, it was definitely an uh, interesting aspect growing up, uh, African-American male in nicer white communities. So kind of some of what's going on lately kind of sticks to me, and um, we'll be able to discuss that some more. Um, yeah, I'm a... Uh, marathon runner triathlete and um sorry just i uh pace uh disney races sometimes due to the uh, working with the galloway group so i'm happy on that all aspects yeah you are so enthusiastic too about you know what you're doing with the donna foundation i'm just curious how did your passion for distance running start like how did you really get involved in the running community um really funny i i in high school, I ran track and I ran the 400. Um, I don't remember too many uh, black kids running cross country and long and distance growing up. There were a couple, but it wasn't like a lot you'd see out there. So I always thought, I'm like, hey, yeah, we're supposed to run these races. And there's a lot different now and there's difference. But yeah, I'm like, these are the races we run in high school. Um, as I got older, I stopped running and then I was getting ready to turn 30 and decided, you know what? I need to start doing something. So did my first triathlon on my 30th birthday, my first marathon the next year, and have been running um, as much as I can ever since. So the reason we're really having this conversation, I posted this morning about Ahmad, uh, that we are trying to get the entire running community to really be talking about this injustice that has happened. And it's something that I am extremely sad about I want to use my platform to shed light on this injustice. Um, and my friend Nat, Nat Runs Far, she wrote a post about it. And so I kind of just used her post as, you know, used her post on my platform. But I said, I don't have the adequate words, really. But as the mother of four boys who are all white, I don't know the fear that my friends with black sons may have when their son is out running around. Um, so I just want everybody listening to know that I'm uncomfortable and I have the best of intentions to shed light on something that is a horrific problem in this country. And Chris commented on my post and, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you'd be lying if this didn't shake you and growing up and living in upper middle class, predominantly white communities, it's always been a thought you've carried around with you. And Chris, I just wanted to read this because in case our listeners aren't totally filled in on the situation that has happened, I'm going to read this post from a woman named Zara, okay? I'm going to read this, and then I think I'll just let you respond, and we'll go from there. How does that sound? That sounds good to me. Okay. And this is probably going to be hard to read, but I think that it's important that everybody hears, hears this. Ahmad Arbery was lynched for jogging while black by two white supremacists, a retired district attorney investigator and his adult son. They lynched him. 
in the middle of the day while he was out jogging. Got in their car, tailed him, and shot him twice, point-blank range. He bled out and died in the presence of his murderers, who have had zero charges weighed against them. He would have been 26 this week. I reread Claudine Rankin's 2015 New York Times piece where she writes, Though the white liberal imagination likes to feel temporarily bad for black suffering, there really is no mode of empathy that can replicate the daily strain of knowing that as a black person you can be killed for simply being black. No hands in your pockets, no music playing, no sudden movements, no driving your car, no walking at night, no walking in the day, no turning onto this street, no entering this building, no standing your ground, no standing here, no standing there, no talking back, no playing with toy guns, no living while black. The condition of black life is one of mourning. I can't stop thinking about the final moments of his life and how much more he was than that, what he must have thought, how alone he must have felt, his family, his mother. I have nothing profound to say. I'm so angry. My heart is aching. Anti-blackness is an epidemic too. Say his name. Ahmad Arbery. That's tough. Yeah. So it was interesting as you were going down that list of um, the, the comment of all the things that we can't do. Um, my 16th birthday, my parents got me a brand new Ford Mustang. Um, black, black tinted windows, just driving around central Florida, Seminole County, going the back roads to the beach, going out to friends that lived out in more country rural areas. There was always that thought behind in the back of my head of, I can be a target. <laughs> I got it. I always was the whole like, all right, turn the music down. I can't, friends wanted to race. I'm like, I'm not racing you through neighborhoods. Um, you get pulled over. I got pulled over twice in high school. One of them was actually by a sheriff's deputy that I knew. And he like yelled at me. He's like, Chris, your tags expired. <laughs> Go get that fixed. <laughs> and the other was just um, a highway patrol. And I remember being in a car with my friend. And it was just like, all right, car off, windows down, hands here. And for me, it was just so casual because it was also the whole thing of I'm listening to them. Nothing is going to happen. And then fast forward to as I get in my 30s, think, I hate to say thanks to social media, but it's like I start to see more of, oh, wait a minute. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to happen no matter what goes on. Um, and that's not saying anything against all law enforcement because I have really, really good friends that are in law enforcement. Um, but just saying we have issues with everything. And um, and I just I'm saying about the law enforcement because that's where a lot of that those conversations go. Sure. But as we as we talk about this situation and see it, it's like I I'm part of a group, Black Triathletes Association, and I pose the question to them: How many of y'all? What would you say on this? And some of the comments were just, and we all see the whole runners talk about like truck drivers kind of swerve towards them. Mm. Um, but in certain areas, if you're running and then as that truck or car drives past you and you see certain type of bumper stickers on the back of it, you kind of wonder, are they coming at me to scare me some a runner or they're trying to scare the whatever word they would use for a black person at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's an additional fear. Um, you, you look at this video 
and you hear the story about what happened to him. He was running through a neighborhood wearing a white t-shirt and black shorts. Honestly, how many times can we have said that the suspect was an African-American male between five foot seven, five foot six and six foot one wearing a white t-shirt and black pants, black shorts. Growing up, living in Tallahassee, I mean, living in Tallahassee, going to school here, there were times when I'm like, I'm going for a run and lived right off the campus. And it was like, huh, I probably look like a suspect. There was actually a point where there was a billboard of somebody who was a crime suspect that I would look close enough to if I put on like five, 10 pounds. And it was always a joke of, okay, that's not good. Mm. Um, and it goes to the whole old joke of, we all look alike. So they could see the suspect and see that. So <clears throat> again, it goes to this situation. He was wearing a white shirt, shorts. There have been suspected robberies going around. And these people saw him running and he looked like he could have been the suspect. So instead of doing what I think most normal human beings would do, call law enforcement and say, hey, I believe there's somebody committing a crime here or has committed a crime who matches something. They decided to say the essential boy, go get your gun and jumped in the back of a truck Mm. and chased him down and said, stop, pull over. Lindsay, I'm going to, um, when I message you, I talked about a favorite movie of mine, um, A Time to Kill, um, Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson. At the end of the movie, when he's, when Matthew McConaughey's defense attorney is trying to make sure that Samuel L. Jackson does not get convicted of the crime of literally killing two white supremacists who raped a little girl, he goes over the scenario of everything that happened to that girl, and at the end he said, now imagine if she were white. You as a white female running through your community, if two pe- two men, I'm not even going to even say color, if mm-hmm. two men pull up and one is in the back of the truck with a gun and say, hey, stop, we want to talk to you and ask you some questions, what are you going to do? I'm going to run. <laughs> and if you see behind you there's another vehicle and they keep running and getting in front of you, fight or flight takes over right 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 um what's her name who did the not today mother effer Mm, yeah um gosh kelly kelly yeah yeah. we there's there's books about this there are t-shirts showing her heart rate as she said you know what i am not today you go into fight or flight in the first defense like people people have been arguing that georgia is a stand your ground state and georgia is a um like this is legally allowed to go and commit pursuit of a citizen's arrest. But what if he had been carrying a weapon too? Right. And he saw these guys pull over next to him and say, Hey, get out. Cause I don't care if you're in the South or if you're in the new England or the Pacific Northwest or Nebraska. Um, if two people with guns pull up next to you and say stop i want to talk and they're not showing no like law enforcement badges they're a threat if he had been carrying a gun would he have been able to to start treating them as a threat and draw his weapon and act in self-defense would he respond with fire no because then oh 
I was in pursuit of a criminal and I went to stop them and they shot at me and I shot them back in self-defense. Nothing mm-hmm. else. Gun down. So how could, I mean, there's no win. Like, you know, if he would have been able to, if he would have <laughs> been protecting him, like he couldn't have won. You know what I mean? Am I, I feel like there's no, there's no win here. What's, I can't remember the movie, but the only winning move is not to play. Yeah. Ugh. And unfortunately that's, that's the situation that, we're in because it's like, yeah, I'd love to protect myself, but I, I'm like, I, I don't want to be walking around and somebody seeing a gun on me and think, oh my God, he's here to do this. So you mentioned this in your message to me. And by the way, everybody, you know, Chris, Chris commented on my post and then I, I um, responded back to him. Like, I'm trying to figure out a way to talk about this because I, I need to use this podcast as a platform to, like I said at the beginning of the episode, to shed light on this injustice. Uh, but I want to make sure I'm I'm um, mindful and I'm doing it in um, a way that is not offensive to anybody, you know? And so you responded with this just thought-provoking message to me, and I thought I just need to talk to Chris on the show because um, he's a black man, and this story is hitting him in a much deeper way and more personal way than it could ever, you know, hit most of my listeners. So you mentioned in your message to me, um, you know, as an American society, how we really rally behind women's running safety, as you kind of touched on, because like the majority of people out running, a lot of them are women. Um, But when it comes to issues of African-Americans running, there's more to it than this. I'd love to just kind of hear you expand on that. And then also, like, is there anything that can be done that like we can do as I can do as a white woman? You know, what what can we do to rally and support? Right. And just it's it's one of those things just providing the voice and the you're right. It's not necessarily your place. And one of the things I'll say this, one of the things I, when I posted in the, in the black triathlete group is that somebody was like, Hey, Hey, no, no, this is not. And I'm like, she has an outlet. She wants to make sure that she can use the outlet and allowing me to use the outlet. And they're like, Oh, that's awesome. And you hit that from the main point. And what can people do to help? It is just to understand mm. um, like what's going on. It's like the, the question I go, I'll go back to why I mentioned women's running. It's just, every woman has to think of all the things that could possibly happen. Every time you're running, you can't listen to both head. You can't have both headphones in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder. You can't necessarily say, Ooh, I'm going to choose a different route. Or if you're with somebody, you're not going to tell them what route you're going to going on. Um, running at certain hours by yourself without lights. And there's always all these warnings to you all of this, is what you need to do when you run this, is what you need to do when you run this, is what you need to do when you run. But it's just never going to the huge issue of, hey, you people that are going to do bad things, stop doing those bad things. How can we change it so that when I go for a run, I don't feel worried in the communities I'm in? Again, I live in a decent part of town, but that doesn't, as we can see, that doesn't make a difference for certain things. Um, I just, I'm sorry, I just realized this. Um, couple, couple years ago, there was a um a shooting actually mm. in my neighborhood um right near one of my run routes 
And um, the problem was because people were stealing cars. Mm. And somebody was out there, they got, somebody busted them, stealing their car, and shot at them. And they've gotten back, and like, just pulled out a gun, shot, either warning shot or shot at them. And then, like, a whole shootout thing occurred. So, I can only imagine if I had been running out at that mm, time. Right. And it's just like, because even though I'm like, I run in, my, my majority of my running clothes are black, and I try to throw a little bit of color in it, but it's all from the Donna when they went all black a couple years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I can just imagine of just running around that time and like, okay, even if I were trying to hide, I'm now random black guy hiding in a bush at somebody's house mm. or random guy banging on somebody's door after they just heard gunshots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like the list of things. And it's like, okay, none of these scenarios end well with other than nobody finding me until the sun comes up and then me safely making it home. Yeah. But it's like, how can we do it? It's like, it's, it, it's like we, we, the only option is just waiting for people to die out and them to stop teaching their kids everything. As I was discussing with somebody the other day, the kids that were on the bridge at Selma while their parents were yelling things at the marchers are in their 60s right now. Mm. they're still they're still around the people that were the people that were yelling are grandmas and grandpas with their little grand grandkids on their lap telling them about the good old days of the of old glory (laughs) um so that's the thing it's just and then people like you and in your community when you see these things when you have law enforcement candidates when you hear legislation Mm. you actually listen to what other people are saying it's like listen i on as a overall idea i understand standing your ground you you should be able to defend yourself i understand castle doctrine if somebody comes into my home and puts my family at risk i should be able to defend my family by any means necessary but what i don't understand is the intense need for people to completely always just go out and like brandish their weapon in that way if they wanted to have going back to the mind if they wanted to have a conversation with him they didn't need to be openly carrying a long gun to make him stop if they wanted to have a discussion with him and to see or if they wanted to just wait for police they could have gone over there if they felt unsafe they could have had a weapon in the vehicle and one person could have been like, all right, we want to talk to you. They saw somebody could do that. But they went over there with the intention of having to shoot him, which they believe that he was a violent criminal. They believe that their life was at risk because they, and again, make sure I get the timeline right. They thought they saw somebody looking into a vacant lot or who looked like somebody who'd been breaking into homes. And I have a hard time saying the words white supremacist unless I can actually see it. Mm. But there's a Venn diagram that exists for a reason. So they may not be white supremacists, but they went there with the intent to pull a trigger. You don't pull out your gun or your weapon without any reason to use it. And that's the thing when they tell you about weapons, when you walk out the house, when you put it on you, when you load it, 
you better be prepared at all times to pull the trigger. And they went out prepared and ready to pull the trigger. He was just running. And it honestly, I've, <laughs> I've gone for runs in neighborhoods. Like I, I go down to Kiwa Island and in, in outside Charleston, South Carolina, and I'll go for a run around these million dollar homes. And as you see construction, you're like, Oh wow, that looks pretty cool. Mm. Ponte Vedra, when we run in Jack's Beach, when we run Donna, those areas, there's construction there. What do people do when they see these constructions in areas? They may take a walk around and see, oh, that's a nice layout. Ooh, this is cool. Mm-hmm. People, look, if his reason for dying right now is the fact that he went and looked at a construction site and they believe that meant he committed robberies and thus he was a violent threat and they need to make sure they had both had weapons on them so they could talk to him. Again, you're running down the street and two guys with guns stop you and say, hey, I want to talk. That's not a conversation you want to have, is it? No. I um, I appreciate that you brought up that someone in your triathlon group um, brought up that, you know, maybe this isn't my place to share this since I'm a white woman. Um, so I just want to know, um, you know, it's like, I, the whole conversation around race can be uncomfortable, right? Um, but if we don't do things that are uncomfortable, we will just stand still. If we don't recognize what's happening, we can never reconcile, um, the greater issue and I I just want to I just want to I just want to help the conversation move along and I don't know what else to do the Civil Rights Act would not have happened um, the March on Selma would not have happened all the highlights that went down there would not have happened if not for the preacher being killed the white preacher from New England I believe it was New England being killed mm. those things would not have happened well, they may have, but a lot slower. But what happened is people that don't look like us also getting involved. And you see it so often. And this is this. I hope some certain listeners hear this part is just there's a way of being an ally. And this goes to all parts of being an ally, not just dealing with people of color. There's a way of being an ally. And that's not to speak for them. To get like you to, to give them an opportunity and to stand with them. Mm. I've seen way, way, way too many people that believe that since they're an ally, their job is to go out. Like I've, I've, I've had white people try to tell me what's racist. Um, <laughs> they're like, "That's racist." I'm like, eh. "Like, no, no, it's racist." I'm like, "All right, let's 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 have this conversation." Um, but it's like you can be an ally, but you don't have to be the one always out in front. Um, and there's, there's, there's let's talk about some of the statues and I've, I watch a lot of TV <laughs> no, I'm over Good the years. Good for you. Of, um, it was, um, and it was a Keeper Sutherland show, not 24. And they were um, talking about moving statues and a minister was there, a black minister was there and he was listening. And there was a younger white lady who was saying the statue needs to go. The the um, people in the community who were saying, no, the statue needs to stay. 
and him just there. And though he said the statue can stay, needs to stay. And the white lady in her anger looked over at him and said something on the whole, like, it's like, I can't believe you're, st- you're selling out like this and blah, blah. And he's like, who are you to speak for me? It's like, who are you to tell me what I believe? And then did his justification for why he thought the statue should stay there, which I don't necessarily agree with the way he said it. But the, um, the thing is, like, how can people be there? It's like, be allies, Mar- like, march, stand, hashtag, use your social media, do the same thing that you at, like, people ask everybody else to do to be supportive of them. Um, women's rights would not have happened without support of men. Civil rights would not have happened without the support of non-people of color. Um, all these things, everybody needs assistance. But again, it's about making sure that the focus is on the people being affected and that your only job to go is to make sure that you can help amplify their voice. Mm. That's so good. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, enemies but the silence of our friends. Oh, yes. Martin Luther um, King Jr. Yeah. And that reminded me of a, um, it goes, again, it goes back to movies. <laughs> good, um, good. It's fun. Good. Ever, seen, ever seen the movie uh, Boondock Saints? Yes. Long time ago, though. So don't hold me accountable for remembering the specific scene. But go for it. The, no, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil was for good men to do nothing. Mm. And that's Edmund Burke. But it was at the, it was part of boondock saints but yeah it's like those are the two things that we see it's like if you're going to your silence is complicit if you're not going to lend your voice then you're just lending your voice to them because they're not being shouted down yeah you have you have ten thousand. you have a hundred people standing in front of the capitol yelling and screaming about something if they don't have a hundred people yelling like yelling back some people may not listen. It's like why we flood phone lines so often because we're like, I never got any phone calls. I never had a meeting on this. Well, yeah, you did. So you can't use that excuse. People who listen. Do you, do you ever feel tired of talking about it? Like tired of, of having to be the voice in this injustice? Um, I will not say, um, first of all, I'm not say I'm, I, I get the voice, a vo- the voice for some people, a, a voice. voice for some people. Yeah. yeah. I know. And I know what you meant. Um, no. And honestly, it's like, I am extremely moderate on a lot of my views. And I've got some friends who are a lot louder and I'm learning a lot more from them and a, about this. Again, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up a very privileged life mm. and I talked to some of my friends. I'm like, Oh yeah, that was different. Um, but for me, I don't get tired. And I've, I've had friends who've said about certain issues or like, I get tired explaining it. And I'm like, I'm just, if you're asking me, how do I as a black man feel about this in America? It would be, it's like, I'm like, oh, you respect my opinion and view to want to learn enough about this issue. Mm. That's how I see it. Now, some others may not see it because it might be one of those you know, you can pick up a book and go read on this. That's that's what I'm but, saying because I've heard that a lot too, and I and I yeah. I don't want to be a burden because if people are tired, I don't want to say teach me, teach me, teach me 
but I want right. your voice to be heard. Right. And there's, and there's a balance too that people can find. I'm like, and it also goes to some of the people that are talking about it may have gotten to the point where, you know what? They don't want to talk about it anymore. Right. Me, I, I enjoy talking. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not, it's not a problem for me. And then, but then you also, it goes to the, you never know the last person who came to them asking for something. It's like when you were growing up and somebody's like, Hey, how do you spell this word? And you tell them a spell and they immediately go to the dictionary to make sure you were right. Mm. Um, I hated those kids in elementary school. Oh, my husband, <laughs> does, my husband does that to me all the time. If I say something, he always, he always has to look it up and make sure that it's right. And I'm like, you don't have to cross check me. Just believe me or don't worry about it. <laughs> I will not confirm nor deny if my wife does that because she may <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> Um, but no, it's like, I, I, I personally don't get tired, but I know people that do and it's yeah. everybody's right to have the amount of energy that they want to. And, um, I know, oh God, um, some of my friends in the last couple of years have become really close and like supporting and helping each other. And it's just, it's, um, my friend Brianna, she convinced me in the whole, like the, the way of saying this is I want to help you. I do not have the mental bandwidth and ability to do that right now but I will come back and give you the assistance when I can. And it's the thing that I, I try to do better on of like, if somebody asks me a question, like, you know what? I got you when I can handle it. Mm. Like now is not the time, <laughs> but yeah. when I can handle it, like I'm going through something myself, I will get back to you. I want to help you. And that's the thing. But then going as the people that ask the question of, Hey, if you have time, I've got some questions. If you don't have time, I can come back to you, but let me know. I value your opinion. And making them, making people understand that you're valuing their opinion instead of just going to them for information. Yes. I'm a person, not your Wikipedia, not your Blackopedia. Mm. Blackopedia is going to be trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> going to the internet, going to the internet now to make sure it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, so... I guess I would like to know, and I'm sure my listeners would like to know, what's your message right now with this? Um, other than, and I, I say this in a joke, other than the ones who would, don't shoot us, please. We're just running. Yeah. Um, and I just, I say that completely as a, as a joke on this because my form of, um, one of my form of coping mechanisms is bad humor. Okay. Um, <laughs> But the um, the message is paying attention to what like your laws and stuff actually do. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know how many people in Georgia actually realize to the extent you can go conducting a citizen's arrest. If not for social media, if not for his friend deciding to record this and or if whoever was deciding to record this and release it, there would be no further information on this. Pay attention to what you're hearing and listen to all aspects of it. Again, I'm I'm a registered. I'll say this: I'm a registered Democrat in Florida who supports the Second Amendment. Um, there are so many aspects of it of the way our laws are written that I'm not a fan of. But have conversations and listen. Pay attention to what's going on. Um, again, be mindful. And the biggest thing when you see your friends post racist memes or jokes on social media, call them out on it. Mm -hmm. 
don't be afraid to offend somebody because, oh, like, don't be afraid to offend somebody because they're your friend and you don't want to hurt their feelings. When people say things and don't get called out on it, they think it's okay. And it's as simple as a reward because the only people responding are the people that agree with them. That's how we change the mindset. And it's a long-term thing. Of course, of again, pressure on electeds. And I'm not saying in the sense of a prosecution or anything. This is a plan on educating yourselves about what's really going on in your country, in your state, in your community. Um, just getting that opportunity and learning. I hope people get more active and involved in what's happening. But the whole entire thing begins with calling out your racist friends and neighbors and family members. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean if you're hearing your and you cannot identify a racist friend or family member, great. If you're hearing that and you can identify a racist friend, neighbor, family member, start thinking of what would I feel like if I turned on the news and that neighbor decided to take this type of action because they could. And I know what's in their heart. And if I, they never thought it was wrong Mm. or I just allowed it, say something. Like the same way you ask, same way people ask men to stop using extreme chauvinistic language Mm. and how we try to say, stop the patriarchal part of society. We just sit back and allow it to continue to go on or do we tell them, hey, this isn't cool. I really appreciate everything you've said. And um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with me and and to share uh, your heart with the listeners. Um, This is just a a super sad, sad thing that happened. And um, honestly, I can't stop thinking about his mom, you know, as a mom myself. And I mentioned it at the beginning, but you know, my boys are white and I don't know how she feels. I don't know how she felt before he died. I don't know. And so, um, that's why I really hoped to let you do the talking and I hope that everybody listening, um, I hope you all know my heart on this and that, um, my intentions are to shed light on Ahmad's life and the injustice that was done um, and to to be supportive you know to be supportive <sighs> it's a hard topic and I'm uncomfortable can you tell Chris yeah I can I can tell I just want to um, so I just want to add one thing Please. Um, Mr. I, I don't speak on behalf of the family I don't know the family I don't speak on behalf of that community up there or all African-American runners um I just thank you for the opportunity for me to speak for me and my experience. Um, And this was cathartic for me and allowing me to talk and say some of the things I've been going through my mind. So I appreciate that. And I just hope everybody listening gets something positive from this and how we all can go forward in this country. And there is a run on May 8th, which is tomorrow, to honor Ahmad's life. This episode will probably go out Friday morning, actually. Um, There is a run, 2.23 miles. You can run, you can walk, you can jog. Um, This is to honor his birthday, Ahmad's birthday. Uh, Please post a message, video, or dedication with the hashtag 
I run with Maud, M-A-U-D. Uh, thank you, Chris, for this, and you have a wonderful rest of your day. You as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show today and sharing with my listeners. I am super grateful for your voice and super grateful that you were willing to come on and talk about this. Don't forget, friends, that you can run, walk, jog 2.23 miles today, May 8th, to celebrate Ahmad's 26th birthday. Please post a message, video, or dedication with the hashtag IRunWithMod on social media to be a part of this conversation. My thoughts and prayers are with his family, his mom, and I appreciate you all for listening today. All right. I'd love to connect with you all on social media. I'm LindsayHine626 on my Instagram at Lindsay Hine on Twitter, and we have a Facebook page and group. If you just search, I'll have another with Lindsay Hine over there. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday with an episode with Mike Wardian. And then next Friday, we'll have a fun Friday episode with returning guest Amelia Boone. Thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful Friday and great rest of your weekend. And I'll see you on Tuesday.